If you're going to have a story, have a big story or none at all. That's a quote from Joseph Campbell. Is it true? Do all stories need to be big stories? Today, we dig deeper into the concepts behind our favorite stories. Here on the Story Geeks podcast, we love geek stories. But how do writers, particularly science fiction, fantasy, and comic book writers, craft compelling stories? On today's podcast, we examine story concepts and how to make them compelling to your audience. In this special limited series, the Story Geeks podcast digs deeper into how storytellers craft emotionally relevant stories and how you can learn alongside us to do the same. We'll be using Carl Iglesias' book, Writing for Emotional Impact, to guide our conversation. And while I highly recommend it, you don't need to own it or read it in order to listen to this show. If you're new to the Story Geeks Network, my name is Jay Shear, and I'm the author of the time travel novel, Time Slingers, and the upcoming steampunk western fantasy mashup novel, Death of a Bounty Hunter. Today, I'm joined by Mike Rowe, a screenwriter and journalist, Melissa White, a comic book writer and host of the Comic Creators Club podcast, and Will Marlowe, a screenwriter, film school faculty member, and host of the Mecha Dragon podcast. This is the second of many episodes to come on the craft of storytelling, so make sure you subscribe on your preferred podcast provider. Also, this series will be running alongside our special Star Wars series. I hope you'll join us for all of those shows as well. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting the show by joining the Story Geeks Club. Story Geeks Club members get to vote on upcoming show topics, listen to us record shows live, and higher tier members even get access to our discussion questions and prompts before the shows come out. For more information on the Story Geeks Network and the Story Geeks Club, visit thestorygeeks.com. Thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks Podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Let's dig deeper into Chapter 3 of Writing for Emotional Impact and the concept of developing compelling concepts. Well, this is our second episode. In our last episode, we covered Chapter 1. I'm actually skipping Chapter 2 because Chapter 2 was written specifically for screenwriters writing to readers of scripts who will then pass those scripts along to um, development executives, basically. Uh, so I'm skipping that chapter altogether because it was so narrowly focused to that target market. And we're going to go ahead and skip to chapter uh, three, focusing more on the storytelling aspects. I have with me again, Mike Rowe. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about what you've done and what you're up to? Of course, my name's Mike. I've been uh, working as a journalist for the past decade or so, covering all sorts of different things. But you can find me at the site LAist, covering arts and entertainment currently and uh, uh, everything going on in Southern California. Uh, also, I'm a screenwriter. I write scripts with my wife, Christiana, and uh, nothing uh, uh, produced at a huge level yet, but we're, uh, we're writing and putting stuff out there. That's awesome. Uh, we also have Will Marlowe. Glad to be here. I am a screenwriter. I, uh, I worked for several years in Hollywood as a development executive at a small production company uh, called Wild at Heart. Uh, they primarily make documentaries, but they've done narratives as well. Mm. Um, uh, right now, currently, I work, um, I'm on faculty at a film school based out of San Francisco, and mm. uh, I also uh, produce and co-host the podcast Mecha Dragon. Yeah. And uh, last but certainly not least, comic book writer Melissa White. 
Hi, thank you so much for having me. You guys can find me on Twitter. I co-host the pod, uh, the podcast and YouTube show uh, Comics Creators Club and Tin Questions with um, with my lovely co-host uh, Jake West from Comics Academy. You can find me at um, Melissa Fent. M A L I S S I F E N T. Yeah. Please give all of these uh, folks follows and check out all the cool stuff that they're up to. I'm going to jump in um, with this first question because uh, it's about chapter three is all about the story's concept. Mm -hmm. And it struck me as I read this chapter that it really was where storytelling and marketing collide in some respects. Mm -hmm. So before we get into Carl's thoughts on concepts, I want to pause to ask you guys, when you sit down to write, how often are you thinking about marketing your work? How do you personally think about marketing and storytelling and their interplay between the two? You know, I actually do not think about marketing my work, um, or at least I try not to think about it until it's mm. done. Um, because I am very easily distracted. I have the attention span of a small hummingbird. Uh, so <laughs> when I, so I have to focus on on the story and I'm way too over detailed with everything. So what I really do is focus on the story itself and then afterward I, I scream and realize that I actually have to get it out there and how am I gonna <laughs> do that? Um, so yeah, in the, in the writing process, it's, it doesn't really come in um, until I'm able to get through the story and have a better direction and then I can start thinking about it. Well, that's, that's a really, um that's really interesting uh, what Melissa said just now. And that is certainly how I prefer to uh, write is to not think about the marketing at all. But in, in the past few years, I have definitely felt, um, I don't know if pressure is the right word, but I've definitely felt an inclination to consider it more. Uh, but I also don't think that it's uh, constructive for a writer to be worrying about that while they're writing. Uh, I, I don't think that at all. And so basically, I mean, I've always felt that it's absolutely critical that you write what you're passionate about without letting, you know, what you think people want or marketing concerns dictate that. So when I write, I, 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 I just can't be thinking about that. So what, mm -hmm. I, what I have done with my current uh, work in progress is that I did a lot of research up front. I basically listed like all the genres and things that I want to write in and I ha already have, you know, a million story ideas. And then I did a bunch of research that allowed me to narrow down which of the stories I really want to tell that I'm going to write. So that was that was kind of the way that I've approached it more recently. Mm. Um, I, I don't think that you can ignore marketing. I'm not saying that um, uh, you you have to be thinking about it all the way through, like I've just said. But you know, whether it comes at the end or the beginning, I think you do need uh, to consider it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's this, there's a, there's, it's, it's kind of like, when do I start to think about it, right? Like, I'm going to have to think about it at some point, but when do I start? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. You know, as someone trying to break into TV writing, a lot of my thinking is more about how to market myself versus how to market my stories. Um, and I think that the way to market myself is to write great stories and that resonate with people, whatever their, uh, uh, outside appearance of the script may be to sort of you know show that I have the the skills when it comes to the craft and not and um, so it sort of lets me I think get away from 
focusing necessarily on the concept, but I also was thinking about, there's this quote I like from the scientist Niels Bohr, who says, like, basically the opposite of a great truth can also be a great truth. Mm. Uh, so I just want to say, one. like, stay away from <laughs> stay away from marketing, but also marketing is very vital. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think that the problem comes, I think, when people try to write to the market, I think is when you end up with scripts that are just terrible. Mm. Um, and I don't think that Carlo Glacius would say you should do that. I think that you know, it's thinking about the marketability of something um, and thinking about how to present your idea in a marketable way, even if you aren't necessarily crafting the story in that way. Mm. Um, but uh, but I think in the, in the end, you know, a, a great story is a great story, and that's what people are going to resonate with. So if you're writing great stories, I think ultimately they somewhat market themselves, although you have to put a little extra spin on it to, to let people grab onto it. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because I hate thinking about the marketing when I'm trying to write. Um, my background is in marketing, so <laughs> I feel like I think about marketing like way too much already. And it's just sort of like, it takes away, it can start to, I can start to resent it because it can start to take away from the creativity when I feel like I've got to sell something mm -hmm. as well, right? Um, it takes, well, I guess it, maybe not take away from the creativity, but it takes me out of the creative space. Yeah. Um, now, I will say though that I have done something that is maybe a little bit closer to what Carl is talking about in terms of the concept specifically. And that is that from a creative standpoint, I will focus on trying to be innovative. Um, I will ask myself, have I seen anything like this before? With Time Slingers, we actually asked ourselves, um, myself and my co-writer, Nathan Sheck, we said, how do we tell a story to people reading on the go? Like people who were reading mm. via their mobile device. And so it was sort of one of these things where, you know, we started with story segments, um, which are part, like smaller portions of a chapter um, that were like 1200 words. And we would go, nobody's, nobody's gonna spend that much time reading on their mobile device. I mean, like maybe if they're in bed, but if they're, but if they're, if they're commuting, they're probably not spending that much time. So we got to the point where we were spending, you know, I think the maximum number of words we have in a story segment was like 800 and the, and the more the average was like, you know, 500 and we have some chapters with 350, you know, like, so, um, so obviously that limits you in some ways, but it also, it also is a function of trying to be innovative and tell the story you're trying to tell in the best way possible. And it just so happened that we were trying to tell a fast paced story with cliffhangers. And so it yeah. sort of worked itself out. Um, but it was a thought process we had to go in. But I will say that I do resent trying to, so ha having the, the marketing standpoint or the marketing hat that says, how do we engage people is good. I think having the, how do I sell this <laughs> from the very beginning, <laughs> may be a little bit overstretching um, uh, the creative process. Yeah, I totally agree. But I also think, you know, you're talking about writing these little chunks. And I think that when you write within constraints, I think that can make writing easier and make it uh, more rewarding in a way. So it's it can sort of work both ways. Oh, that's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it can actually start to once you give yourself constraints, it can force focus onto you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you have focus, you're a much more powerful creator in some ways, I think. So, um, yeah, no, that's that's 100 percent true. So Carl goes on to describe the concept as the hook that engages interest in a story. And it basically determines whether or not a given audience will want to engage with the story itself or if they'll choose just to skip it entirely. He says the concept itself should elicit emotion. The concept itself should elicit emotion. So given that, 
what geek uh, sci-fi fantasy or comic book story have resonated with you guys and how would you describe the concept propelling that story forward? Well, um, I am going to go to The Martian for this uh, Mm. because, all right, so you could state the concept, I think, uh, something like, an astronaut is stranded alone on Mars when his team uh, thinks that he's died and they evacuate during a storm, right? Um, so that's that's a good hook for me. Uh, I'm interested mm. in that. And, like, every part of that concept propels the story forward through the end, if you think about it. So at NASA, there's a series of events that leads to them discovering that he's not dead. And then there's conflict mm. about whether or not to tell the other astronauts on the team. And then whether or not to tell them about the option that they could go save him themselves, right? So that all just comes from uh, that basic hook. Um, and then, of course, you have you know the crew deciding to mutiny and do it. Uh, but then on Mars, um, he's completely – Watney is completely alone on this barren planet. And there's so much – conflict and story movement just based on him securing the basic necessities of life food water air uh communicating uh with with earth going to this other site where he can you know possibly maybe make this you know daring escape and so i think that from that very basic concept that you can express in one sentence you really do get um first of all is a hook that resonated with me because uh, I, you know, I'm interested in these types of stories, and it's very high concept sci-fi thing. Um, and like, you know, as I just went through, like every little tiny part of that little concept that you can express so succinctly propels like every part of the story forward until the end. Mm, yeah, that's awesome, Mike. How about you? What's a concept from a from a geek movie that you have really resonated with, and that you found really sells the movie? I mean, it's really hard for me to think of a concept that tops Jurassic Park. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's a good one. It's that's it's a movie a that one. was like it's a it's a theme park of dinosaurs. Like, what else do you want? Uh, <laughs> and you know, it's a movie that like the stars of it. Like when I was a kid and saw this movie, like I didn't know who any of these actors were. I just knew this movie about a theme park of dinosaurs and what happens. <laughs> And that's such a clear concept. Uh, the emotions in that are so great. The stakes are so high. It's life and death. And you have this like sense of wonder that you get just from the very title and from those like the the, the images in the trailer and from just like the, the score. Every single little bit of it is just meant to like push that emotion in you. And it's all comes back to that concept that is just an amazing concept. And if I ever have an idea half as good as that, I'll be very thankful. <laughs> that is such a good example um because you're right it is it is just on its face being like a theme park Mm -hmm. full of dinosaurs is (laughs) fantastic there's an example in the book when he gives the example of um, back to the future i felt the same way it was like Mm -hmm. oh that's perfect like that is a perfect concept (laughs) melissa what about you which which uh, geek movie is the concept that you're like yeah i'm here for that you know there's a new netflix series coming out that's actually based on a comic book called raising dion um, mm. Michael B. Jordan uh, kind of mm. tapped into the comic book and you know turned it into this uh, to this series on Netflix, and it is just 
that raising a child superhero Mm. is such an interesting concept because we always see them as like adults, you know, with their their own problems and their own sort of thing and their call to this great action. But what is it like to raise a, a, a kid that has powers? And how do you define boundaries within mm. that? And then what happens when there is that big threat and your child can do it, but is still a child? Do they get a childhood? All of these questions are kind of coming up for me from this concept of just like, just that simple question of what is it like to raise a child superhero? Mm, yeah, that's and like, really how nice. do you keep them from turning into like an antihero or an evil person, a villain? You know, and yeah. how do you keep them, you know, from hurting themselves or others unintentionally with their powers? You know, especially as you're regulating so much as kids, um, and then to see that play out, like, in, you know, and between uh, like in a black family too um was of course like i was like yeah give me all of that put yeah. that in my eyeballs <laughs> now please um and netflix delivered so thank you netflix for that yeah that's awesome it is interesting that you can sell material based on a concept even if you don't execute well on it um oh. that's an interesting thing Oh. Yeah, I think it's sort of that's the difference between movies that end up with good word of mouth versus those that, you know, they depend on that opening weekend or else you're, they're not going to go anywhere because everyone's heard that they're terrible. Yeah, exactly. Oh, but so there was a sorcerer was supposed to come out. It was supposed to be this huge, like, thriller moment in the late 70s. And mm. it was it shared an opening weekend with... Uh, with Star Wars and oh. everyone was thinking oh Star Wars blah, 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 blah. we're not going to go do it <laughs> that's favorite. nerd stuff we don't do that um, and but everyone the word of mouth was that Sorcerer is going to be like the movie it's going to be the biggest movie mm. and it's going to set the discourse of movies you know um, and, and really influence movies to come and then Star Wars happened which nobody was expecting and I think everyone kind of assumed that Sorcerer that word of mouth was assuming that Sorcerer was going to be the, the thing and here comes Star Wars just smashing things and opening the door um, for you know for the careers of so many different directors now like we wouldn't have <laughs> movies in the way that we we wouldn't, we wouldn't have Jurassic Park I don't think if it wasn't mm. for Star Wars as mm. um, success you know mm. and cultural relevance so you know there are times when word of mouth kind of betrays you and kicks you right in the butt because mm. it maybe because we're we're focused too much on one thing instead of focusing on what like you know the people want and they want you know ships and space and all of this intensity um, and they don't necessarily want to watch like something grounded they want to escape for a little bit I mean late 70s was the rise of so many fantastic horror movies um, so mm. many fantastic mm. sci-fi movies you know and it sort of started to decline and move away from you know stories that were like grounded in reality but is Sorcerer a great movie absolutely <laughs> um, mm. does it have anything to do with an actual sorcerer no <laughs> um, <laughs> but still a fantastic movie definitely recommend Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I'm about to check that out. I, I haven't even, I don't even think I've heard of it before. Yeah, because Star Wars, because of right. Star Wars. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that made me very much think of also, uh, I, I saw, saw a screening of The Rocketeer, and uh, 
the screenwriter of it happened to be there and spoke about how they opened the same weekend as Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and got just oh, crushed. Oh, man. And, uh, and they were supposed to be like, it was Rocketeer was supposed to be a trilogy, and it didn't happen because uh, movie, of, yeah. of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. It's, it's a hard, so even a really beloved movie, it became sort of a cult classic, mm-hmm. but it's, yeah. uh, uh, you know, you, you always have to watch what the, the big dog's going to be. You know, I love the Rocketeer so much that I would be Team Rocketeer on that one for sure. <laughs> oh, no, definitely. <laughs> and actually, it's a good segue into mine because um, it's a similar feel of a movie, and it's my favorite movie of all time, and that's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm writing this concept. This is not the concept that they actually wrote. This is my this is my interpretation of their concept. But an adventurer who doesn't believe in the paranormal or supernatural must keep <laughs> a super powerful artifact away from the Nazis. Um, and I do think that there's a there's a there's a portion of this that is let's say directed at me right because I love the 1930s uh, setting I love the Rocketeer because of the 1930s setting that that sense of uh, Americana that probably never was but we mm-hmm. all want to believe was um, is just such a fun setting for me um, but I love playing with the idea of this concept of the supernatural and exploring perspectives relative to that. Mm-hmm. If you listen to the show, you know that. And you can't really have any bi- better villains than the Nazis. I mean, they're the worst. <laughs> I mean, they're <laughs> and if they get this item of extreme power, that's awful, right? So there's inherent conflict in the premise, not only from a Indiana Jones is going to have to struggle. And I'm not, I didn't even mention the fact that he's going to have to struggle with, you know, choosing his relationship with Marion over his relationship with things being like the Ark of the Covenant. Um, that's I didn't even mention that in my concept. But there's all this conflict that is embedded in the concept of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I think is really, really, really interesting. So Carl uh, Iglesias, the author of this book, uh, goes on to say that a concept should be uniquely familiar and promise conflict. So this is a good segue. We were just talking about conflict. In and of itself, it should elicit excitement and fascination. So with that in mind, um, I want to play with this idea a little bit. And what I'd love to do is because there's a lot of people, I hope, listening to this podcast that are writing their own stories or thinking about a story that they intend to write. And so I'd love for us to be a little bit vulnerable here. This was actually a little bit difficult for me as I was trying to do this exercise. But I'd love for us to share concepts for stories that we've written. So everybody will share one. And then I'd love for us to just discuss what we like about them or what we feel like could be improved. And I know we haven't actually read all of the stories that we're going to talk about now. So it's not necessarily about whether or not the concept is accurate. We just want to see if the con- if the concepts that we discuss are uniquely familiar and promise conflict and test these concepts against that. I'll go first. Uh, you know, uh, my wife, Christiana, and I, we write together. And the very first pilot we wrote, it's called Homeschooled. Uh, mm. It's about uh, a young, uh, about family, really. And uh, the one of the sisters in the family is beaten and uh, horribly beaten. They're all high school age. And because of that, the family pulls the kids out of school and that sort of follows the fact that now the kids have to get used to a life uh, in homeschooling, have to get used to a life not with their friends every day, not uh, uh, in the life that they knew. Um, uh, The thing that 
I sort of we, we sort of struggled with a bit and that we realized after writing it is that uh, we chose one of the other sisters to follow that we thought had really interesting emotional stakes and we kept being like look at this this is the the character that you're going to follow and this is really interesting but everyone wanted to follow the, the sister who gets beaten because they're mm. so attached to that that they that's a visceral thing mm. um, and so we're, we're in the middle of sort of redeveloping that as a short film about that character but uh, it, it was sort of interesting to see, you know, you can't tell people this is what you want to follow. If you were to succinctly state the concept of that, yeah. of that work, how would you say it? I'd say um, a young woman gets beaten and her parents take her out of, take the kids out of high school because of that. Ah, nice. Okay, so what's, what's some feedback we can offer Mike relative to that concept? What we're not trying to do is tell Mike that his concept sucks. For this <laughs> um, that's not the point of this exercise. Right. Yeah. And by the way, it shouldn't be the point of, uh, of, in my opinion, it shouldn't be the point of a lot of uh, writers groups or writer interactions or yeah. producer yes. writer interactions. Yes. Um, that's not the point of these things. To, to me, what's engaging about that, that concept that you mentioned, Mike, is this. It almost feels like a fish out of water situation mm-hmm. where, mm-hmm. where these students are in this totally, I mean, the, the environment is home, so it's not like they're totally unfamiliar with it, but it's, it's a totally different social situation that they're not yeah. used to, like you said, where they're not seeing their friends every day. Uh, you know, and they're not maybe feeling like they're a part of things as they used to be. And so that, like, if you were able to punch that up in in some mm-hmm. way in terms of your presentation of the concept, if you're pitching it or something yeah. like that, or, you know, maybe just like in the first, like, few pages of the script, that would be something that would help to hook me into it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You know, as I started to... Um, kind of like you know let the concept marinate a little bit I started to become really fascinated with the idea of like these kids in varying age groups you know and I'm not sure if that's what's happening Mm -hmm. but I became very interested in like okay what do you do when you've got like siblings who may be in different age groups like where they had the escape from each other (laughs) (laughs) of like their friends in school being like oh we're not in the same class now they're kind of brought together and you know all the differences that we have between like the old eldest in the middle and the 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 Mm. youngest one i became fascinated with seeing that and then i also became Mm. really fascinated with the parents having to switch roles from being a full-time parent to also being a teacher to Mm -hmm. also like you know and how you navigate that change and how they all navigate it together on the one hand you have the opportunity to become closer as a family unit um but also you have this like extreme burden on your parents now because you know school is supposed to be the break <laughs> from that where you're like go conflict. away yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. exactly um so i just i became much more interested in in seeing those different perspectives so if those are present yeah like put that in my eyeballs mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I think it's 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 a really good place to start because well, and I, and I'm going to give you a uniquely familiar aspect to this. Mm-hmm. I was homeschooled K through 12, <laughs> so as a homeschool a person with a homeschool background, I guess you'd say, mm-hmm. um, I think that uniquely familiar definitely hits because I would go like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm familiar with the concept of being homeschooled. And then what I would look for is I would look for so so you may have to if it wasn't me that was going to be involved mm-hmm. in this people other people might gravitate more towards why they were being homeschooled right like yeah. just the, mm-hmm. the aspect of the beating and the conflict there um, as for me i would go that wasn't why i was homeschooled um, mm-hmm. but i would i would still gravitate towards well what are the conflicts that arise when someone is homeschooled and then kind of 
maybe even spell those out a little bit. Like I would tell mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. one of the things that I've heard throughout my entire life has been like, oh, well, you're super normal. And uh, <laughs> to which I would respond, not if you really knew me. And secondly, um, but are any of us if you really know us? <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh, but the, but the second thing I would respond to is also that there's this sense that um, that you almost like you were if you're homeschooled, you are uh, ostracized from the rest mm. of what else is, is mm. going on. So and I know that there are inherent conflicts with my, you know, not all of my siblings loved being homeschooled. I did because mm-hmm. I got a chance to write stuff, you know, <laughs> like I, say, I got much more chance to work on the stuff I wanted to work mm. on. But uh, but yeah, no, I think it's a really good concept. I think if you were to add in the aspect of more promised conflict in the mm-hmm. way you address the concept itself, yep. you'd really gravitate towards a lot of things that people would would inherently. You know, it's one of those things where we all have something in our background that makes us different then. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the it's the concept of saying how do I associate this aspect of being different than with the other ways that people have felt even though it's very different things that we've been different from the rest of society in um, how do we associate those in a way that people will gravitate toward so that's that's mm-hmm. cool man I like that yeah, concept a you. lot thanks for being the bravest one to start <laughs> too, <laughs> boy. that's awesome anybody want to go second I'm working through uh, my first draft of uh, my current work in progress. I have this main character, and I suppose you could state the concept something like um, uh, a man is forced to uh, confront his sins when he dies, goes to hell, but then is brought back to life and enslaved by demons. Um, (laughs) I hadn't really put all those words together in that exact order before this very moment. But basically, you know, he's done some awful things in the past and he has regrets. um, And that's kind of the familiar part in the uniquely Mm. familiar uh, scenario. Uh, The unique part is that he he did die. He was killed in battle. It's a it's a like an epic military fantasy story. Um, He goes to the hells, but then the part of the plot is that there's these demons invading the the world and they uh are resurrecting like a lot of the people that they kill that they're fighting against and mm. magically enslave them to fight for them and so now he's seeking redemption but at the very very beginning of the story he doesn't really have much of a chance to do anything except whatever awful things these demons tell him to do mm. and um that's that's kind of where it begins uh, and, and the concept of it. So now I'm I'm ready. Just lay it on me. I mean, I really resonate with the idea of uh, you know having to work against your own interests, like having to uh, uh, sort of this enslavement part of it. I think it's a really cool place to start from. It actually, reminded me a little bit of a as a as a comic nerd of uh, Mr. Miracle and oh. uh, him having to grow up mm. on apocalypse and being uh, subject to dark side and and having to, to live this whole life that's not your own. Um, and, I, you know, I'd be curious where it goes from there. I think that um, the thing I'd want to uh, know more about is just, uh, uh, you know, what the, the character basis of this was and, um, you know, beyond the, the sort of the, the spectacle of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd, I'd be very interested to find out more about yeah, I think that I'm I'm really well. One, you said demons, and I was like, "Hello, here I am." <laughs> <laughs> all of my money. Um, 
because you know how to get me. Um, <laughs> but what really excites me is, you know, the redemption arcs, yeah. especially redemption arcs where you feel like the, you, the character has no agency. Um, we're all kind of, you know, it's, it feels very familiar because, you know, we're all becoming more and more aware of about the cycles, especially as you get older, the cycles that we repeat as, mm -hmm. as people, you know, and these sort of patterns and how some of them are, are unhealthy or some of them are healthier than others and how do we break those cycles and we break that sort of that that pattern to emerge as a as a better version of ourselves um and you know the demons are metaphorical are, are metaphors to me for you know the repeating those cycles and how we can break from mm -hmm. from that and find redemption forgive ourselves for some of the things that we've done or that we have to do in order to to break free and some of those things are, are easy small things like you have to cut out a toxic friend or you have to you know stop playing video games at four o'clock in the morning melissa come on <laughs> um <laughs> Like all of those patterns um, that we have to break kind of kind of bring us toward that greater sense of self or that greater purpose. So finding for me the real emotional kick in the tummy is like how he is reviewing his life, you know, um, up to that led him up to this point and how he's identifying those patterns and then trying to break them. But also in the context of like, you know, he's fighting in this like demonic super war you know yeah that those are really interesting comments because i feel like that i'm coming from a similar place when i'm writing it um as like mm -hmm. the things you're explaining and i i really have felt that a lot of what he's doing and uh, throughout the story is seeking this agency mm -hmm. um and and try yeah that's uh, yeah thank you Th those are those are really uh, helpful comments I, I i really like the setup because i feel like it's already been said but like the fact of a character seeking redemption and even the fact that you you told me that he doesn't have agency is really fascinating in relation to redemption um and it's a, it's, a, it's a topic that i think is very societally and culturally relevant at least in here in in the u.s because we're constantly seeing more and more people fail and how does that publicly fail obviously we all privately fail all the time um the but we're seeing people publicly fail and some of those people it does really feel like man how do you redeem how do you come back from that mm -hmm. um and in what ways can you come back from that so i think that's a fascinating concept mm -hmm. that is uniquely familiar because the way you described it is unique but very familiar to what we see around us um, i love the promise of conflict too because he's trying to redeem himself but like you said he doesn't have agency um and this is something that was not addressed that i can remember in the chapter but it made me instantly wonder, like, oh, okay, well, what genre are you playing with? Like, mm -hmm. obviously, it's like a supernatural genre, mm -hmm. but, like, is this going to be a comedy or is this more <laughs> of, like, a super serious work or is yeah. this? So that would be an interesting thing to play with in regards to your concept in order to sell more people on it or at least to direct their attention in a specific way. Yeah. Um, even if you use different verbs or adjectives to make it sound darker or make it sound lighter, that would be kind of Well, it's on the surface, play. it is very dark, right? I mean, he goes yeah. to hell. <laughs> he he right, comes right, back. Right, right. Demons have <laughs> enslaved him. But, I, you know, some of the things that I – something that I, I try and do in a lot of my work is there's just so much absurdity in life. And sometimes mm -hmm. the only reaction that you can have to it the only genuine reaction you can have to it like in the moment is like you'd laugh 
And so I like to try and punch up those like moments that can't help but be humorous in the midst of like this huge mess, you know, that we call life. Mm. And so that's interesting that you say that because maybe, you know, maybe I should go and try and punch up those, you know, those little sort of mini absurd humorous moments in it a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's not even worth doing that in your concept. I'm not even sure because I don't remember him actually saying anything about the genre and how it would impact it. But it just made me think like, wow, there's so many different compelling ways to, to do that that story. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's I think you're I think you're onto something there. Both of you guys have been onto something. It's been awesome. This was a really good exercise for me. So if you're listening to this and you're wondering about a work in progress that you have or maybe you've actually already written something, um, really capturing the emotional impact of telling someone about it um, in, a, in some sort of way is really, really, really powerful. So I'll hit you guys with it because um, I'm still processing it, honestly. This is for Time Slingers. And the concept for Time Slingers is a time-traveling secret agent desperate to protect history discovers his mission may jeopardize his family. Ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really like the the fact that the family is tied into it. You know, I feel the stakes. Mm. Uh, it, it's got sort of a, a bits that are a little reminiscent of Back to the Future, a little reminiscent of Quantum Leap. And as a mm. fan of both of those things, I think it, it makes me intrigued to know more and to uh, uh, sort of figure out what's coming next. I think that, um, you know, it's, it's hard to sum it all up in like a quick little log line, but I think that <laughs> right. uh, I'd be curious to know more about how that family is affected and what makes this story, um, you know, extra unique versus any other time travel story where someone's uh, going back into the past and, and tampering with things in a way that can can have unknown effects on the future. Mm. Good. I, I love this impossible moral choice that he's faced with. Mm. You know, yeah. it's like, do you save history or do you save your family? You know, what? there's <laughs> there's no good answer to that. You know, there's no good answer to that. There's only... Wow, yeah, it's such a huge... I, I love when stories put the main characters in a position where they have to make a moral decision, and it comes down to kind of how... I haven't read the whole book yet, Jay, so I'm just prefacing it here. <laughs> well, I appreciate, you, I appreciate you reading it at all, so thank you no, very it's, much. No, it's great. It's a propulsive read, as I think I mentioned before, uh, with those great cliffhanger, cliffhanger endings. But, um, but yeah, I just, you know... Uh, Truby talks a lot about this in his book, uh, John Truby, about how characters will have like this self-realization and have to make this moral choice. And I think that, you know, when a story can put you in that place where you really feel those stakes, uh, that, I mean, that makes for some of the most compelling reading and, and stories, in my opinion. I feel like you know, this unintended consequences, you know, of mm. protecting history. You know, there's always going to be a ripple effect, right? Uh, insofar as we've kind of seen time travel as it exists, like, culturally, right? There's that sort of, you know, butterfly flaps its wings kind of thing. Right. Um, and the unintended consequences impacting the family and i'm not sure if that's exactly where you're going or not but like how that how that impacts his family how it becomes personal because he's sort of like the time police you know um <laughs> time and 
<laughs> beautiful. Um, like how that affects his family and how his family deals with that in their own time, um, in their time and as a unit, and then how he has to come like kind of back into that unit. Because it sounds like he's he's moving away and he's coming back and he's kind mm. of going he's going out of time and he's coming back to time. And so he gets to see things as they've already happened. And for the most part, it hasn't affected that unit. But now he's coming back. And it sounds like it has affected the unit and mm. he has to like, he has to decide what to do about that. Does he do it um, as, and how is that sort of use of his power of traveling and, and protecting history and protecting time? Like, in what ways is it okay to kind of like bend that so that he can protect the ones that he love? And is it worth it to protect it if it, if the consequence, the unintended consequence is his family? Um, so grappling, you know, with that sort of moral dilemma, you know, as you guys are talking about and, and grappling with like, you know, those unintended consequences of it affecting his family and his relationship to his family as he returns to it and sees, you know, what he's, what he has kind of a hand in, in doing, you know, um, it, it sounds fascinating. It sounds mm. fascinating to explore. Cool. So functionally speaking, mm. I have written about I think I have what nine concepts um, mm -hmm. just playing with different aspects of the story and that's mm -hmm. what's fascinating is when you've already written your story it's harder because you're going back and going like well mm -hmm. which part which concept is the most compelling of all the things that I'm playing mm -hmm. with in this story mm -hmm. um, and I I'll get to this in a later answer but this is why I'm, I'm more and more on board with the concept of making concepts part of my mm -hmm. storytelling mm -hmm. um, but Melissa, what do you want to you want to hit us with yours? Okay, okay. The concept that I'm working on right now, I have actually gotten a couple of pages into it, is um is sort of kind of like um taking the beguiled but turning it on its head. Um, and it's a concept about this young woman uh, living in the South who encounters you know something terrible ends up sort of in the space between death and is welcomed into a group of women um who are essentially witches uh who kind of you know help her process her her feelings and her emotions and, and the grief but in getting power she has to kind of live trapped in this state of of anger and and fear and horror in order to access you know the true power that these witches has um yeah that's the concept Mm. Nice. That's fascinating. Yeah. I, I love this idea of um, sacrifice, that she has to mm. sacrifice something to uh, achieve something that's important in her life, is what it sounds mm. like. Um, and I think most people have been in a place where they felt powerless to some degree. I mean, you know, certainly not, uh, you know, I've never been like, you know, tied above a spiky pit or something like that but um and there's plenty of magic in there it sounds like so that's really speaking my language um it just you know it sounds like um it sounds like a really um personal character focused story and i i don't like obviously i don't know where you're going with this but i imagine that she's gonna have to grapple with whether or not this is worth it at some point would, would that be a fair assessment yeah definitely um yeah definitely trying to d well you know something horrible has happened to her and she is 
in the stage between life and death and power and powerlessness and you know what we choose to you know do we choose to give our agency to this group of women or do we choose to give our agency to you know just to say language and i'm out oh excuse mm-hmm. me for cursing um, <laughs> and then just move on um you know with our lives to the great beyond you know so yeah magic is definitely part of it um it it, it also feels like maybe there's an element of like what's the appropriate level of acceptance for the things in my life uh and that's something that uh, that, that speaks to me and engages my interest as well. Maybe I'm just projecting onto it, but I guess that's what we do when we read stories. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that. Thank uh, you. One thing I thought was really interesting is just this idea of sort of coming into this community of women. I think is always uh, an interesting thing, and uh, you know, the kind of story that I think still really resonates right now, um, and, and you know, a story that needs to be told more. And I, I'm curious, like how she interacts with these witches and how you know sort of those character dynamics and then also um you know what the what the ongoing conflicts are going to be going forward but i think that that's a really cool starting place and i i love that concept of like the space between life and death and what what does that mean and what is um you know what does it mean to follow a character through that and, and how, how can we be put into that experience as as readers thank you i and that's actually a really great point is exp- exp- the dynamic of this woman coming into to these women and uh, to, to this group and like what what they're about thank you i, I kind of haven't like really put that in mm. yet but it's interesting to see yeah yeah it's it's really really compelling i think so you've got uniquely familiar and promised conflict and so what i really like about it is that the first thing you told us is that she is welcomed into a shared demographic profile group, meaning that that she's accepted into people that are probably like her, probably not in every single way, but they're, that are like her in some way, which I really like because you're almost, it almost should feel safe. But then you told us, oh no, but it doesn't feel safe because she has to, uh, she has to do things that to become a witch that maybe she doesn't want to do. And so then you out, you said, okay, it's uniquely familiar, someone in with a group of people. But then you told us, oh no, there's a promise of conflict here. It's not as familiar as maybe she would like it to be. She's in between the two worlds. And then the thing that I really liked that I don't think the three of us put in ours at all is you put emotions into it. So you said she's going to have to experience mm-hmm. anger and fear and horror and have to deal with those things. Um, and I think that to, to the point of writing for emotional impact, I think that, um, and he didn't say this in the book, I don't think, but including those, the emotions that your character will experience, like automatically promises that conflict. Mm-hmm. And therefore, like we, I want to see how she deals with that, which mm-hmm. I think is really cool. The only thing, the only thing I probably would maybe offer as a suggestion, and this mm-hmm. is probably because you're still early on in the process, it sounds like, mm-hmm. is, is I, I don't know if I have any idea of where it's going to go, and maybe I don't need that, right? Maybe a concept mm-hmm. is enough that it's fine, um, but like I think if you could, if you could showcase something about like if she doesn't do this, this is where she'll end up. But if she does do this, because you kind of hinted at the fact that there might be a conflict there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I wasn't I wasn't necessarily clear on what what the end result might be either way. I think and Jay, that, maybe you're talking about like you want a, at least the faintest whiff of what the stakes might be. Is that mm. kind of what? Yeah, because it sounds like the stakes are yeah. are like intense, but I don't know like mm. what that means. You know what I mean? 
You know, um, I, it's so interesting that you guys are picking up on that because, yeah, the I've still been playing around with, you know, what where is this going um, mm. and wh what kind of decisions that she, it, that she's making. And I have a direction for it. Um, but of course, whenever I get in there, <laughs> like they start to act wild. I think we all know that your character starts to take on a life of its yeah. own. And it's like, no, I want to do this. And you kind of have to mean mommy it into a situation. <laughs> but listening to uh, or maybe even taking Grant Morrison's great advice where he just kind of mm. adapts as it go as it mm. goes. Mm -hmm. um, so th there's this whole thing that I have where I'm wondering where Grant Morrison's lost pages are because he <laughs> changes the story as he gets, you know, he he gets the artwork back and then he's like huh that's great and then all of a sudden it's completely different so nothing ever ends up the way it started out then it doesn't end up the same way for all of us but i'm kind of taking a page out of his book or maybe one of the lost pages out of his book and kind of saying okay like let's let her let's her let her drive the boat a little bit she needs her own agency in this because i really don't give her any mm. and then um and then let let her let us see how she develops but those are some excellent points you guys thank you so much why did we do this exercise? Um, and why did you listen to it? <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, uh, because what I wanted to do was I wanted to showcase this, this idea that Carl Iglesias is presenting with the concept. And then I wanted for us to, for, for everybody to listen to writers go about the process of, um, determining what the concept of their work might actually mm. be. Uh, and how they how they might even tweak it to sell it to somebody. Um, so first of all, I appreciate you guys doing that exercise with me. But hopefully, if you're listening to the podcast, what you're doing is you're 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 hearing the elements that make a concept resonate with people or not resonate with people, and what is uniquely familiar versus what is really maybe not familiar at all or um, too familiar. He uses that that kind of um, that paradigm shift of. Uh, or I should say, you know, he's playing with opposites, uniquely familiar. Um, and I think that that's a really interesting way of putting it. And I think all of you guys had that embedded in your concepts, which I think is a fantastic place to start from. And then you all promised conflict too. Um, so that was, that was really fascinating. I hope everyone listening can kind of work through the concepts they have in their own heads and go, oh, okay, I know how to tweak it now to be more uniquely familiar and then promise more conflict. Hopefully that's something you can do. Now that we've taken a little time to interact with the ideas driving this thinking behind concepts, I would love to know now that you've finished the exercise and now that we've finished the discussion on it, what do you like or dislike about concepts? Do you find them helpful or limiting or, you know, what is your feeling about them and why? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that there's something to the concept. I think that it's so hard to communicate things within that, but obviously that has to be done. Like, you know, the people who are going to buy your projects, who are going to be interested in you as a writer and you as somebody who's created these ideas, um, you know, you're going to need to be able to communicate those concepts. I it was just in a writer's group meeting earlier today, uh, listening to another writer pitch some ideas. And, um, you know, there were a few that felt underdeveloped, but then when we sort of pushed, like he had more of the stuff uh, uh, behind it, but I think that um, I, I, I think it's important to be able to communicate that as quickly as possible. Like, if you're a good mm -hmm. writer, the one of the biggest parts about being a good writer is being able to communicate efficiently. And uh, I think exploring things through concepts uh, is a good way of helping to improve that. Yeah, I I, uh, 
I agree with Mike there. But you know, I'm think I think that um, it's pretty helpful as a fundamental tool for a writer. I mean, working on your core concept before delving too deep into the writing of the draft itself, I think, is good advice. Um, everybody has a different process, right? But it's it's hard to write without refining what you're writing, if that makes sense. Um, I think where it can become unhelpful is when a writer, especially beginning writers, think that they need to abandon what excites them about their own story to fit it into some kind of mold. I don't think that's helpful mm. at all. Um, mm. Like Iglesias says, you need to um, weave your unique soul into the universal themes, there's those universal themes, that have proved mm. to be successful around the world. I mean, a lot of the stuff that he points out about high concept and its importance is getting people to even pick up your story and give it a read, right? And that might seem cynical, but I think people want to know whether something is going to be worth their time and money, right? Knowing this, that the story deals with something that interests them is a way to do that. And like Mike was saying, if you can communicate that really quickly up front, uh, you have a better chance of people actually getting through your story. And execution is a different matter, right? But I don't think great execution of an awful concept is going to make a great movie or book. Mm. Uh, and low concepts uh, can make for good movies too. I mean, it's hard to find an example in like sci-fi and fantasy and geeky stuff because I think those naturally lend themselves to being high concept. But I thought an example might be Arrival. And you could probably sum up the concept as something like aliens land all over the world, but we can't understand what they're saying. <laughs> so, so they send in a linguist to do like a complicated study. That does that's not like something that hits you right away, and you know what the entire movie's about. If everybody here has seen uh, Arrival, but that is a great movie. But I think that it just takes what it, what does he say in the book? He says a low concept requires flawless craft that takes years for beginners to master. Mm. Mm. Um, so that's that's what I think about all this. You know, I've um, I've run so many writers groups in my in my day that and exploring concepts is kind of like it's just part of it. You know, where you get together and a bunch of minds from different backgrounds and different experiences and preferences kind of just start spitballing ideas and working on them together. I think that part of that is is beautiful. It creates this opportunity for us to really refine our own ideas and, and hear them instead of in the, uh, the echo chamber, in my case of my apartment, where I'm just screaming at my cat and he's offering <laughs> meows and cuddles instead of actual feedback. You're the worst, kitty. I love you. <laughs> um, but like, you know, you get the chance to, to work out the concept um, outside of yourself and, and through it um, and through other people and hear it back it hear it back from other people you know and kind of clue in on things that you hadn't really considered because you're just within yourself so I think that concepts itself um, is wonderful exercising those concepts with your friends your family you know your chosen group um, your betas your beta readers and everything is is a really great way to develop your idea and also to see how it lands and see what points you really want to make and gives you it forces you to refine the process and refine your ideas and, and refine what you're trying to say if you're trying to say anything at all. Mm, mm, yeah. That's really mm. good. I think writing is a really iterative process in that way. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it. this goes back to the, what's that old saying? You, as a writer, you have to kill your, all your babies. 
And that's, mm. and that's just, if you haven't heard that before, if you're listening to this, that just means that sometimes you can be really precious about something that you wrote because you really like it for whatever reason, but maybe it's not really working for the story and you have to cut it. Um, mm. And so if we're talking about that at the concept, concept stage, I think that it's, first of all, uh, collaborative writing is like one of the greatest things in life <laughs> for me anyway. <laughs> I, I just love it. And I, and I think that you made some really good points, Melissa, about um, refining that outside of yourself and with a group and how that can be helpful. I started the podcast by saying as much as I hate to start with marketing, uh, I will say this book has prompted me to want to start there. And it's not because it's it's not because it's inherently about the marketing. I think that what the concept does for me is it starts to point me in a direction of mm. focus that allows for me to be more creative, but really get across what I'm trying to explore. And we talked about in um, the first episode, we talked about a little bit about propaganda versus storytelling. And so if you, the, 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 the broader the width of your concept, the more you're gonna have to explore and the more that you're not gonna probably land on anything. Um, but if you can narrow down that concept to what the story is really about, and then also execute on that concept while exploring the material in detail, I think that that's really, really powerful. I will say that, and this is again, this is a screen screenwriters focused book, but I do think this applies more and more to other uh, venues and other channels of getting stories mm -hmm. out there. I think that this is becoming more and more important, which probably means some great stories are not getting out there because the concept is maybe like you, like you talked about, um, Will, more of a low concept as opposed to a high concept. And so it's just, I mean, we live in such a noisy environment. Trying to get eyes and ears on your work yeah. is so difficult. Mm -hmm. um, so that does bum me out a little bit. I'm not sure that some of the greatest works in history would have been published today in the same way, given the same amount of attention. Um, mm -hmm. But I will say that I am now starting to think about having a compelling concept is part of my mm -hmm. craft. And that's a complete shift from where I would have started before. And to back up what Melissa said about Grant Morrison, that's the way I tend to write too. It takes mm -hmm. me a long time to get from the start of my story to the finish of my story because along the way, I'm changing a lot of stuff as I go oh, through Yeah, yeah I, I always think about uh, uh, C. Robert Cargill. is one of my favorite screenwriters who also does a, a podcast called Write Along. And he always talks about how there's two kinds of writers. There's... there's um, uh, planners and pantsers. There's people who do it by the seat of their mm, pants and yeah. people who plan everything out. And I, I think that sounds like maybe you're a pantser. Yeah, I feel like I'm kind of like both because I keep just mm -hmm. changing my plans. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh my gosh, what is going on? But yeah, no, that's a good, that's a really good way of describing it. Like, but it also, it also, when you change your plans, that actually changes even mm -hmm. more of the story yeah. because then you have to go back and go like, oh, now I got to rewrite Ripple the whole effect. first act yeah. again. Yep, oh, yeah, exactly. Loved this discussion, guys. Um, really, really, really had a great time. Um, and then I would love for everybody out there, you heard us talk about our concepts. Talk to some people about the concepts that you're playing with and get this same kind of advice. Make them uniquely familiar and have them promise conflict. Um, and even use some of the feedback we gave each other to help uh, help you process that would be absolutely awesome. And so we're gonna close out this podcast. I wanna let you guys um, promote what you're working on and promote uh, your social channels. Melissa, why don't we start with you? 
Um, you can definitely check me out. I'm I am always uh, sort of floating around Twitter like a ghost. So you can definitely find me there at Melissa Fent. Um, and you can also find me on YouTube and wherever podcasts are consumed. Um, I work with uh, Comics Creators Club with Comics Academy and where we interview creators. We talk about comics and we get real nerdy with it. So, yeah, follow me there. Mike, how about you? What, where can people find you and what are you working on? You can find me at laist.com. That's laist.com. And uh, a couple stories I did recently that you might be interested in is I did an oral history of the Waterworld theme park attraction uh, where I talked to the writer (laughs) of the movie Waterworld about it and also some folks behind the theme park. Uh, Also, I have a a oral history with some of the folks behind Blade Runner coming up. uh, That's going to be coming out uh, for November 2019, the month the movie takes place. So stay tuned for that. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, you can check that out there. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike Rowe where uh, I talk about all this sorts of stuff. And last but not least, Will. Yes. uh, Will, you can follow me on Twitter at SoCalAuthor. That's S-O-C-A-L author. And uh, I also have a website, William-Marlowe.com. And uh, you can also go to mechadragon.net, which is the homepage for my podcast. Yeah, if you go to that podcast, listen to the Endgame one, because I'm on that oh, one. Oh, Jay's just <laughs> brilliant in that podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much. I don't know. No, that's overselling it. Jay is really just okay on that podcast. Super mediocre. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Super mediocre. <laughs> Uh, uniquely familiar but promising conflict um, alright well thank you guys so much for joining me and uh, to all you writers out there keep writing and keep practicing that craft that's it for today's show special thanks again to Mike Rowe, Melissa White and Will Marlowe for joining me here are the big takeaways from today's show number one thinking about how to sell your story too early might hurt your creative process but thinking about the concept that you're pursuing in your story can help you focus. Number two, if a compelling concept isn't forthcoming, start writing. A concept may reveal itself over time. Three, the best concepts are uniquely familiar and promise conflict. Four, listen to your characters and rather than force them to do things, experience how they start to interact with your concept and lean into that. Give them some freedom to act on their own behalf and see where things go. Five, everyone has a different process, but at some point in the development of your project, stop to ensure you know what the concept is and that your audience wants to invest in that story. Six, share your concepts with other writers and ask them to give you feedback on them just like we did in today's show. Seven, reframe your thinking to allow for the concept to become part of your craft as opposed to part of your marketing toolkit. Next week, we'll be talking some more about the concepts driving our favorite science fiction, fantasy, and comic book stories. We'll also break down how we attempt to make our concepts more compelling to our audiences. Don't miss that show or any of the upcoming shows. Subscribe today on your preferred podcast provider. And if you want to vote on upcoming show topics, get access to our discussion questions and prompts, or even join us live as we record the podcast, please consider becoming a member of the Story Geeks Club. For more information, visit thestorygeeks.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth. Special thanks to all the members of the Story Geeks Club. Remember, 
all the Story Geeks Club members get access to my almost daily journals, which are short podcasts with my thoughts on stories and things related to storytelling, all recorded by yours truly. Upgrading to the $3 a month tier gives you the ability to vote on upcoming show topics and get special access to our shows as we're recording them live. And if you join at our $5 a month tier, the tier we call our Guardians of the Solar System, we thank you by name at the end of our podcasts. You also receive the discussion questions and prompts before each show comes out. Our Guardians of the Solar System tier members are Adam Vargas, Bob Sherfield, Justin Weaver, Mary Baldwin, Ray DeLeon, and Wade Johnson. At our $8 a month tier, members get to choose an aftercast topic every series. We call these members Cosmic Heroes, and they are Jim Baldwin, Monty Thigpen, and Nick Prokop. And finally, for anyone supporting us at $19 a month or more, you get to be a guest on one of our aftercasts every month. And you get a free t-shirt. Our one mastermind of multiverse madness is Connie Moe. We appreciate all the members of the Story Geeks Club, even those we haven't mentioned by name. If you would like to support the show by joining the Story Geeks Club, please head over to thestorygeeks.com. <laughs>